Here you go, Jeff. The button's supposed to be red. <laughs> there you go. You know, do we? I don't know if we've ever mentioned it or not, but we do not have a technician that runs this for us. And I guess I'm the technician. We'll tell people so. what I have. We, we were we were probably a good twelve or fourteen minutes into a podcast when it kind of I noticed that we there was no counter the counting up like there normally is, and so we I mean we were quite we were more than halfway through a podcast. I said, "Hold up, Roger." I said, "Is there is there significance to the fact that there's no counter running and is that button supposed to be green? Isn't that normally red?" and we yeah, realized yeah, yeah. we had just recorded it. You're boring people with the technological <laughs> end of the nobody cares. I mean Let's try this. Take two then. All right. Let's see if we can do Thank this. Thank you for listening to the Fields Brothers show. Well, I'm Roger Fields, and I'm here with my brother, Jeff, and uh, we're the Fields Brothers. We're two recovering pastors. We're doing this in Central Kentucky at Moonlight Fields event venue in the Man Cave, and we are your remedy for spiritual whiplash, mixed grace, rampant legalism, and religious obligations. Don't accept donations or advertising. If you send us money, don't do that, because Jeff will just spend it on golf, and I'll probably spend it at Cracker Barrel. And for our disclaimer, the following views and opinions may not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of your local church. And in fact, I'm pretty sure they won't. Uh, and listener discretion is advised. So here we go, Jeff. We're going to take us uh, take a second shot at this one. Okay, we just got to be professionals about this and act like we're doing this for the very first time. And so if we talk about stuff that we just talked about a few minutes ago, nobody will notice. Yep, that's so. right. So we... <laughs> um, I, we the verse in First Thessalonians chapter five verse twenty one. I love the verse. It says, "Test everything, uh, but hold on to what is good. Hold fast to what is good." Which is an interesting way of putting it. He doesn't say hold fast to what's true, but is it good? Is it good stuff? Is it good? I mean, I think is it helpful? Is it workable? Uh, is it you know? Who knows? The next verse. I was just looking at it. The next verse. Abstain from every form of evil. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's pretty broad. Yeah. So that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. But go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Hold fast to what is good. Yeah. Even though the gospel is about what God has done for us, not what we do for God, the Bible's still not pro evil. Yeah. Know, neither is the gospel. So, and it's at the tail. I mean, it's, it's significant. That's at the very tail end of the book. Yeah. Not so, didn't start out with that. Okay. Well, anyway, so test everything. And one of the things that has become kind of fascinating to me is how um, experts in pretty much every field of our society can get it wrong and when i say experts i don't mean people that we would say are so-called experts i mean true experts people that really are smart in their field are successful in their field and uh, you know still sometimes get things incredibly i mean not just a little wrong but major wrong and i think that applies also to theology you don't believe i don't think you should believe something just because well pastor of my church says it and you know he's on television or you know experts even in the world of faith can get it wrong that's when it gets dangerous because when someone's considered an expert then a lot of times what they say or do influences a ton of people yeah and so a lot of times people get famous in one area and are an expert in one area and then they kind of try to pass themselves off as an expert in other areas so that can be very dangerous and so, anyway, I've just become fascinated with the whole idea um, of how experts in different fields can miss it so far, be so wrong. And so, the first one I use is an example out of entertainment, where a bunch of basically misfits got together and threw together a television show years ago, and you know, they pitched it to NBC. NBC didn't like it. One producer at NBC thought it had potential, but 
nobody else did. They put it in front of focus groups. The focus groups didn't think it was that great. Um, yeah, they said it was, you know, the, the main character was too weak. Um, they said the show was, um, it didn't end on a happy note. A lot of sitcoms, part of the formatting back then was the sitcom had to end on kind of positive and had to resolve something, you know, had to kind of bring it to a conclusion. This show did none of that. And so, and for a lot of other reasons, they said the show would never work. So, they, and they even trying to think in one particular time slot, it did, yeah, it didn't do great. So they, but then they thought, well, we'll give it a shot. We'll put it behind behind Cheers, and they knew the audience of Cheers would at least probably give this show a, a chance. And it took off. The show did great. And it ended up being on TV for nine years. And six of the nine years, it was number one on TV. They had um, 76 million viewers. Um, uh, and it's now re- and it made over $3 billion in syndication. And it's now considered to be the number one sitcom of all time and one that really kind of set the standard and changed the rules for sitcoms. And you know the show as go ahead Seinfeld Seinfeld and he really he is he is one of the funniest people and on so, the planet, so but but it's, it's interesting I mean you can look back now and we kind of said but you know they they honestly did not think that show would work and they did that based on knowledge I mean they weren't just guessing we don't think it worked mm-hmm. they had information data proving that that show was not going to work yes, the focus groups that's particularly interesting yeah. you know if, if that's supposedly a representation of the public how did they i don't know but they weren't that impressed with it um on the on the flip side now that's an example out of entertainment of something they didn't think was going to work that actually worked big Mm -hmm. and was overwhelming success Uh, on the other side of the equation in the business and technology world there's there's an invention by a man by the name of dean Kamen that was invented in 1999 that was supposed to be one of the greatest inventions ever and all the technology heavy hitters, or most of them, put money in this thing. Uh, there were four major corporations, I forget their name, that put millions into this. GM got involved, put millions into it. Steve Jobs was so blown away by this invention, he put millions of his own money in it and believed that it was going to change the way cities uh, laid out and constructed their, their, their towns. And so, um, and this now regarded, this invention is now regarded the biggest technological flop of all time, not because the invention itself didn't work, it's because nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Just nobody cared. I mean, it just, it just never took off. And you know the invention as the... Segway. The Segway. Have you, I've never ridden one. Have you ever ridden yeah, one? Yeah, I've ridden a Segway. Yeah, it's, right. it's kind of cool. Where'd yeah. you ride one? Oh, there's a couple of... Well, one, my friend of mine rides one, and he's in a mega church. He's a children's pastor, and he actually rides around and checks on different things. And, so <laughs> and for him, it actually kind of makes sense. There's certain applications... Smaller where, than a golf cart. So you yeah, it's you smaller, know. and it's yeah. not, you know, it's better than a bicycle. He just hops on this thing, and the thing can move fast, you know. So it's, it is an amazing invention. But they look back now, and they say, well, it was really a solution in search of a problem. It didn't mm-hmm. particularly solve a situation. Now, for his, in his situation, it, it works out well. But most people don't have that kind of a need, you know. Like, like the mall cop used one on that TV show. You know, he goes, he goes that, around yeah. the mall. You know, if you're in an inside <laughs> venue, bicycle wouldn't really work. You know, you couldn't use a motorcycle, obviously. What are you going to do? You'll walk, skateboard, yeah. I mean, what? So in certain situations, it is kind of I, cool And I guess device. there are yeah. still, yeah. There yeah. are still. In parks, I think, some people use Probably them, but, so. But the general population just had no need for it. It's like, what am I going to do with the Segway? It's the coolest thing, but I'm not going to ride to work. I'm not going to take it to the mall. I'm not, what am I going to do with it? You know, I wonder at times, you know, the whole transportation thing, you know, they, you know, certain things you read thinking, okay, and X number of years, 30, 40 years, nobody's going to own their own car. They're all going to be autonomous driving. We're all just going to be summonsing our car and all this. And, you know, wonder, are we 20, 30 years now going to look back and kind of laugh at those projections? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. The fact is experts can get it wrong. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of little examples. One example I like in the 
field of medicine is that we, for how many years, were told that anesthesia um, um, can give you a, um, a headache when you come off of it. Come go into surgery, come out, everybody's getting headaches, and that's that was prevailing thought that's what science was teaching that's what medicine believed you know until years later they figured out no it's not because of the anesthesia it's because we were telling people they couldn't eat or drink before surgery and all these coffee drinkers were having caffeine withdrawals they were coming out and they're having headaches because they had their caffeine and so any, a lot of things in medicine that have been changed to the yeah years, the well yeah there have been. a lot of things a lot of things in science have been changed um you know one of the biggest you know, the books that was at the time considered to be scientific um, was the um, uh, the Population Bomb by Paul Urich, who was that was written in 1968, um, sold over two million copies, and had a huge impact on all kinds of social issues, including abortion, a whole lot of things. And he believed, and it, actually, here's the, the original open line. Now, this open line was changed as things went along. In, in different editions of the book, but the opening line says that nothing can prevent famines in which hundreds of millions of people will die during the 1970s. Now, when the 70s went through and it didn't happen, they changed it to the 80s and eventually that line has been modified to just say there's going to be a lot of problems, a lot of famine. But the book was demonstrably inaccurate. Mm -hmm. um, he did, however, prove that the way you get a scientific premise to get traction, to get attention to it, to get money behind it, is it had to be somewhat sensational. Yeah. He, he, he used a lot of sensationalism in the book. Instead of just using data, he um, you know, he wrote it in a way that people just were blown away by the by this thing, and they tapped into people's fears. Um, and I've used the example before that if I want to write a book about the moon, if I write a book that says the moon looks like it's doing pretty well and it's doing what it's supposed to do and it's – Helping us with our tides, and I'm, you know, it's a problem. Nobody's going to read that book. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't be able to sell 100 copies of that book. My friends and family, family won't even buy that book. I mean, it'll never happen. But yeah, if I, I write probably, a book, I probably would not buy it. Yeah, you wouldn't buy it. So, but if I wrote a book saying there's some kind of a problem with the moon, and particularly if I can somehow make a case by cherry picking the data that the moon is going to kill us all, or the moon is going to somehow strike the earth, or the moon is going to mess up our tides or whatever, and if I can make a convincing enough case and write it well enough, I mean, I can I can sell this as a bestseller. I can make a lot of money. That's the world we live in. We live in a world where experts who can be wrong and have been demonstrated to be wrong at times drive popular opinion. They drive what people believe about certain things. Now, there's a lot of ramifications of this, which we won't get into. Now, now. I can see how this will With carry over into and all, I mean, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. so, all, you know, so anyway, but I like the scripture that talks about... Um, that we can test everything. I mean, I'm, I believe I'm kind of told I need to test everything. So, in the in um, in faith and theology, I you know I don't care who says it. I mean, I, people get blown. I don't care if Martin Luther disagrees with me. I don't care that Bonhoeffer disagrees. I don't care Billy Graham disagrees. I don't care if it looks like it's clearly in Scripture to me. That's what I'm going to go with. Now, can I be wrong? Yes, I can be wrong. But I'm not going to believe something just because an expert, even if it's an expert I respect. I respect Billy Graham. I happen to like Billy Graham. That doesn't mean I'm obligated to agree with Billy Graham on every single issue. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm allowed to look at look at Scripture. But anyway, so that's kind of where I'm headed. But let me give you one more example of this. And this is just so strange. And I, I talked about this months and months ago. But, you know, you know, we're sitting on a blue ball, Jeff, that's, that spins around at, uh, we're at a 23 and a half degree tilt. 
that spins around at a thousand miles an hour. Now we this is stuff we don't talk about. Okay, we're on, we're on a blue ball. We're, we're a little out of our lane a here. Blue, on a great yeah, podcast. You know what? You don't have to be a scientist to understand this stuff, though. You're, you're on a you're on a ball speed at a thousand miles an hour. Now this ball is is circling the sun at sixty six miles uh, sixty six thousand miles an hour. Okay. No wonder I get tired in the evening. Okay. And need a now, nap again. You know that. I mean, you know. You know. I mean, I, knew, I didn't know okay. the exact speed. Here's what I'm saying: you don't know. Okay. okay? You knew that we're spinning. Probably you may have known it's a thousand miles an hour. We're going around the sun. You might not have known sixty-six thousand miles, but we're cruising around the sun at a pretty good clip. Okay. Now, our that's our solar system, which we used to have nine planets. We say now it's eight planets because Pluto got he got kicked off the starting lineup. He's kind of considered a dwarf planet now. So isn't he's, that back in? I forget. Well, he's kind of in from okay. some, but he's okay. he's a planet, but a dwarf planet. So it's okay. not he's not the status of the the big okay. eight. Sorry. Okay? okay. So this whole deal. With our sun, um, we have our eight or nine planets. We have an assorted about 181 moons and asteroids in this okay. group. Okay, in our sun, we're moving through the Milky Way. That is even moving. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're moving through the Milky Way toward a star called Vega. Did you know that? We're headed I to the Vega. Car. I remember the car Vega. That's something no, different. No, it's though. not yeah. the car. I'm talking Do you remember the Vega? Yeah, I remember the Vega. You get, you get totally off track. Chevy had the Vega. Yeah. Ford had the Pinto. 43,000 miles an hour, the solar system is moving through. The, how they determine this? <laughs> yeah, I, really. I have no idea. But anyway, we're <laughs> going to go with it. This is the prevailing. Have you tested that? <laughs> the prevailing scientific understanding is that we're moving at 43,000 miles an hour. Through, so all of our... You know, we're headed, we're on a road trip. Our whole solar system is on a road trip. <laughs> Life, to is Vega. A Life is it a highway. Life is a highway. Now, apparently, <laughs> nobody's concerned about the fact that we're ever going to reach Vega. I guess it's far enough away. Nobody seems to be concerned that one day, you know, June of, you know, 2042, we're going to actually reach Vega. And nobody believes that it's we're like going to get there. the dog chasing the car. We're yeah. not really worried about we're what not worried. happens if we catch up to it. <laughs> long way off. Now, so you got that so far. We're spending. Okay. Going around the sun, the whole solar system is moving through the Milky Way galaxy. I'm, I'm starting to feel a little queasy. Yeah, here, you're so. going to be queasy. And, the, and now the Milky Way galaxy with its 200 billion stars, 100 billion planets, that whole thing is spinning at roughly 483,000 miles an hour. So the so that's all that's all spinning. So now I'm watching this in which I do a lot of not watching scientific shows. And I'm looking at this thing, wow, and I'm taking I notes. What you did tonight, yeah, so and I'm watching this. so then scientist after scientist comes out and they've all got their white lab coats. So I'm thinking, why do you need a white lab coat if you study, you know, it's not like you're going to spill sulfuric acid. You're not a chemist, you're not a biologist, you're not going to get fish guts on you're not dying why are you still wearing why are you but anyway that's another topic they get their white lab coat on and they're all saying you know we know that with all this going on this incredibly finely tuned it's amazing and we know that gravity is not powerful enough to keep all this in motion to Mm -hmm. do this and to keep it all working like this and they think that the estimates that that i read and heard that's about 20 percent of the energy needed to do that is gravity so there's about 80 percent I think someone said maybe 75, 75, right. 80%. I think it's 75. Okay, yeah, yeah. right. You really <laughs> it is some force that keeps all this working. Now, so then they say, well, what is it? They say, well, it's, we call it dark matter. So I'm writing this down. All right, dark matter. Okay. And I've they heard say, that term before. Yeah, yeah, dark matter. That, that's what they mean by dark matter. It's the force that makes the universe operate, keeps all this moving, but it's not it's something beyond gravity. Gravity can't do it. They all agree. Gravity's not powerful enough. And so then he says it's dark matter. Then he goes, well... 
We're not really sure it's dark either. Uh, so you have to mark that. Okay. We, we just say that, Dark-ish. but it may not be dark. Ish, yeah. We just call it dark matter. Then he said, Then they go on to say, and like six or seven scientists come up on their white lab coats. They're all saying the same thing. Then they said, well, and we're also not sure that it's it's matter. It may not be matter either, <laughs> but we call it dark. So we don't know if it's dark. And they all have straight faces matter. while oh, they're yeah. saying this. Either. And they're trying to figure out what this is. And not one of them, and I'm raising my hand, of course, on television because they can't see my hand. And not one of them, because once you put that white lab coat on, you can't use the G word. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't say, maybe, I don't know, call me crazy, maybe there's a God. But it just kind of hit me again that, yeah, you cannot base your life, I think, on any level on what experts say. I mean, I'm a realtor. Even in real estate, I learn and I listen because I know most people know a lot more than I do. They've been doing it longer, and I learn from them. But even there are some things I'm thinking, you know, I don't know for sure that that's correct. You know, I'm always I'm always skeptical. I have a built-in skeptometer, you know. I am skeptical of a lot of, and I think when it comes to issues of faith, I believe I like what Paul said. I claim to know nothing but Christ and crucified. We know that Jesus died for our sins. He gave his life for us. We were righteous because of what he has done for us. You know, but when they start telling me how church government should be, when they start telling me what they believe about even health and wealth gospel, we'll talk about that on another podcast. Mm-hmm. Some of that I agree, some of that I don't. That's a more complicated subject, I can tell you, than what people on both sides of the equation have made it. When I hear people talk about, they think they know everything about the Holy Spirit. They know everything about end times. We're so sure about all this stuff. I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that we're are, we are sure about. Are this. you like? Uh, my guess is you're like me that while there are certain aspects of the gospel that I am more certain of than ever, but there's an awful lot of other peri- more peripheral type of things yeah. that I am less certain yeah. than ever. Now, yeah. there's there, there's a couple of categories of, of stuff I believe. There's things I think are very clearly in the Gospels, mm. in the Scripture about Jesus and what he did for us. I'm pretty confident those things are true. Okay, Then there's a bunch of stuff. There's doctors about, like, what does it mean when it just says Jesus descended into the depths and preached? <laughs> I have no, we talked about this, but I don't know what that means. I just don't know. There's, there's some statements like that in... Ephesians, some statements in First Peter. I don't know what it's talking about. So there's some stuff I readily say I don't know. Some of the stuff in Revelation I don't know. And there's some things that I think I believe are true. There's kind of in the middle. I wouldn't force anybody else to believe them, and I wouldn't preach them as if they're into all doctrines. But I, I seems reasonable to me, and so I can apply those things to my life and derive, you know, peace from them, direction, guidance, and all. But I don't know for sure I would preach it as a doctrine or start yeah. a denomination out of it. All right, your comments. Uh, I, I, one of the things I jotted down, so this fits well, something, is that we can be content not knowing all the answers on a lot of these things. And, oh, yeah. I, and, and I'm always I'm, I'm more and more suspicious about anyone in a lot of areas, but, but he, and then including uh, – Christian teaching, all that, that someone seems to to know every answer to every question, all that. Oh, yeah. That's why I thought the, a lot of times. We're the worst at that. So well, we, scientists let, are pretty bad at that, let, too. Let's, well, you know, I mean, in terms of thing. one thing, this gives us an opportunity you know, to make sure that everyone knows we are Roger and Jeff. We are not experts on this whole thing uh, of grace and, and life on this side of the cross. And even if we were, we could still be wrong. <laughs> we could be. I've often thought, you know, we would be, or I would be, and I think you would feel the same way, be horrible at a call-in Q&A show so like for example let's kind of role play here oh, okay. so okay right. next call we go to to uh to ralph from wyoming 
Okay, Ralph, you're on the air. Okay, Roger, what is the 666 in Revelation? What does that really mean, mean and what does that stand for? Oh, I know that. Oh, that's all, oh, yeah. That's, that's, well, Ralph, that's the barcode that they're going to put on you. There's a little chip they're going to put on you, the barcode, so you won't be able to eat or drink unless you get this. It's the mark of the beast, and, yes, it's coming. I um, mean, it's about five years you're going to see this all over the place. And there you go, Ralph. Next call. <laughs> <laughs> no, what we would actually say, we would say something like, well, I'll know. tell you what I would say if they say, okay, Je- you know, Jeff, what is it? I would say, hmm, I don't know. Good yeah. question, Ralph. Yeah. I have no idea. Okay, next caller. Yeah. You know, <laughs> after we do that four or five times, you know, I don't think we'd have very many well, people you know, listening to that. There's, so. See, there's two problems with what we've done in the church. One is we think we know this stuff. And the other thing is we make an emphasis out of peripheral issues. I mean, how many people? Yeah. Okay, let me ask you. <laughs> And this is I shouldn't laugh at this. This is what's kind of sad. How many people could not begin to explain what the gospel is that Jesus paid the full price for our salvation, gave us His righteousness, but they've heard of six six six. Boy, they yeah. they know that. Don't yeah. take that number yeah. because we we've sensationalized certain parts of the Bible that even non-believers know about. So, anyway, any other thoughts? Oh, just that you know there is a certain. I've become more and more content and. Uh, more and more stress-free to not have all the answers oh. to a lot of things. I, there's a lot of issues in the scripture that I could argue from both sides. And if someone didn't know yeah. me and had no idea what I believe, yeah. I could I could right. make them absolutely believe that I am sure as can be and have all these scriptures to back it up and then turn right around and, and you know debate it from a whole different yeah. angle. I mean, I think and the whole so, question about did we choose God or God chose us, I mean, I, I, I kind of believe and, both. And I it's mean, not I, that they're unimportant. I mean, yeah. it's not that, you know, so we're not saying, well, truth doesn't matter. Just, you know, something, there is a place to sort out these things. Yeah. And then there is, but, but recognize the limitations that we have. I go back to the father and little child analogy that I think is so helpful. You know, you think of how much little children do not understand about the world around them, but they, they trust their, their father. I mean, you know, they trust their daddy that the daddy knows and daddy's going to take care of them and dad's going to provide and dad loves them and they don't have to know it. And dad will, Make them aware of more information as they get older and, and have a reason to know. Yeah, it's like, I mean, like the whole doctrine of the Trinity. Now, I do agree that with that doctrine. I do believe that the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. I believe, but I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't, I can't comprehend that. But, okay. So, anyway, I just think we have freedom to be able to read Scripture, apply it to us, to not necessarily believe or disbelieve something just because somebody that we think is an expert um, believes it in one way or the other. And so, I mean, we want to encourage people to ask, you yeah. know, part of the new covenant is everyone will know the Lord from the least yeah. to the greatest. Other times that we have no need of teachers. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a role of teaching at all, but it just, I think we really underestimate how effectively the Holy Spirit can be our teacher in the individual's life. And Indeed. even if you don't know Greek, even if you don't know Hebrew and, and all these things, again, doesn't mean there's not value in those things, but that, you know, trust the Holy Spirit to reveal to you in his way, in his time, what you need to know. And it's, it's, I mean, that, it gets exciting when yeah. we, when we uh, see things revealed by the Holy Spirit to us. And you don't have to rely on experts. And don't forget to check out our book, uh, Breaking the Hex, Life with God After the Cross Killed Religion. It's on Amazon for nine bucks and change. And it comes out of, basically it's based out of um, Galatians 3 and um, 
uh, where, to, where Paul, in the, in the earlier trans, uh, versions of the Message Bible, Paul said you're under a hex because you're mixing the old and new covenants together and mixing long grace. Got time for a quick scripture? Yeah, go ahead. I, that's kind of, I'm not sure I ever noticed this. I uh, saw it online, Proverbs 30, or chapter 8, 30 and 31. Then I, so this is when wisdom is personified and wisdom is speaking. Proverbs 8, 30 and 31. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman. I was daily his delight. Rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. The idea that God is delighting in the sons of men. That's kind of a yeah. cool thought. Yeah. He's not angry, frustrated, actually delights in us. I'm frustrated that. sometimes <laughs> with the sons of men. Well, you are not I just God. want to say, but I'm not, yeah, okay. But he's not, that is interesting. 